I want to preach a message this morning about six things that you should do in the last days. Amen? Six things that you should do in the last days. Now I want to start in Daniel chapter 12. Is everybody there? And verse 1, it says, At that time, so we see there's a time, At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Isn't that awesome to know we've got a great angel standing watch over us? And it says, There shall be such a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now I want you to really pay attention to that. At that time, your people shall be delivered. How many know that's a promise? Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Amen? And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness. That's what we did yesterday in our outreach. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And look at verse 4. Now you, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now why do we say end times? Because Daniel says until the time of the end. He says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Father, anoint your word this morning. Anoint your servant, Father. Use me to, sit, to teach your people this morning something valuable to them. Something that will help them. Something that will keep them watching and looking at the signs, Father. And making sure that our hearts and our lives are lined up with the word of God. We bind every spirit of darkness this morning. We come against every spirit of wickedness in high places, Father God. And we pray for an anointing upon your word for the next few minutes that our minds would be arrested. Our minds would be attentive to your words this morning and that we would leave changed in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want you to know in the last days, like never before, there'll be a clash between two kingdoms. Matthew 6.33 says one kingdom is, is the kingdom of his righteousness. He says, if, if, but if you seek the, uh, uh, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... All the things that you ask for shall be added unto you. And so there is a kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of righteousness. Amen? And we know that if there's a kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of the enemy as well. Amen? There's a kingdom of Satan. There's a demonic power. And there's a clash between, we saw that yesterday as we went out to outreach. When you get off of your couch and get out in the streets and start talking to people about the Lord, you find out that this is a collision of souls. It is a collision of people who do not want to hear the gospel or people who are looking for an answer. We had many people receive and be receptive and take those tracks and, and, and say thank you. And uh, some prayed for the sinner's prayer, but many said, no, I don't want it. Many said, I'll give it back to you. Many said, I don't need that. And that is the collision of the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. And it has always existed. And Ephesians 2, 2 says that the kingdom of darkness is the one that we once walked in. We, some of you might have just got recently saved 
And it hasn't even been a few months since you were walking in the kingdom of darkness. But now you're in the kingdom of light. Now you're saved. The Bible says, as you once were. Can you say amen? How many are glad that you are no longer walking in the kingdom of darkness, but you're walking in the kingdom of light? But in that kingdom, it says that you once walked according to the course of this world in Ephesians 2.2. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's only two types of people in the world, church, those who obey and those who disobey. Amen? There's only two types of people in the world. Those who are in the kingdom of darkness and those who are in the kingdom of light. There's only two types of people in this world. Those that are in the boat and those that are not. There's only two types of people. Those who say Jesus Christ is Lord and those who believe he's not. That's it. There's no third person. It's just two. It's just those two, church. And I want you to know that in this cosmic clash... There in these last days, how many know that as, as, as the devil can sense that things are, are getting uh, crazier and closer to Jesus establishing his kingdom on the earth, he's going to fight extra hard. I don't know if you understand. Hopefully you do, but if you don't, I'll explain it to you. I don't know if you understand, but it, 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 there's coming a time that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth. He's going to be king of the, this earth we live in right now. This same earth. Not a new one. This earth. The Bible says he's coming to rule and reign for a thousand years. Amen. And the Bible says that we who believe and put our faith in Christ will be ruling and reigning with him. Amen. Not watching, but ruling and reigning with Jesus on this earth. Amen. And so we know that that kingdom is coming but before that kingdom comes and is established that Jesus stands on the Temple Mount, he stands in Jerusalem once again where he once died and gave his life. The first time, church, he came as somebody who was a, 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 a servant. He came as somebody born in a, in, a, in a manger. He came as somebody who came to humble himself and die but the Bible says the next time Jesus Christ's feet touch the ground of this earth, he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. He's not coming this time to serve. He's coming this time to rule and reign. But Satan is not going to allow that to happen easily. Now the crazy thing is we already know the end of the book. Satan's going to lose. How many love that? How many, and how many know it's a fixed fight? He already is going to lose. That's pretty sad when you go into a fight knowing no matter what you do, you're going to lose. Most people wouldn't fight. He already knows he's going to lose, but somehow, some way, he thinks he's going to be able to trick God. He thought he beat him when he was on the cross. He lost there. Amen? And so this is going to happen, but before it does, Satan is going to fight hard to, to not allow that kingdom to come. And we're going to see a time... In biblical proportions, I don't believe we're going to see it, but I believe the world is going to see a time that the Bible calls the tribulation. Seven years of testing. 
Seven years of what, if you read with me Daniel there, verse 1, look at it again, if you still have it open. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He said right there that it's going to be a time of trouble, verse 1, such as never was since there was a nation. Okay, that's a trouble that's coming. And Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. How many see the darkness and the light? And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Let me tell you something. We are past the beginning of sorrows. We are moving fast in what is the kingdom of darkness, fighting against the kingdom of of light this morning can you say amen? amen now I want you to know that there are two kinds of comings one is the pre-tribulation rapture of the church where Jesus is going to take us out and then there is the second coming of Christ when he comes down to this earth with us amen. those are the two events that are taking place in the and the the verse that I just read you this is important it says nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom and there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places and these are the beginning of sorrows those are earthly signs okay those are earthly signs but the Bible tells us that when the second coming is about to happen and Jesus is coming back to rule and reign there's going to be cosmic signs if you're taking notes, I'm not going to go to them for time this morning, but I want you to write down Revelations 11, 12, and 15, and you'll see in those chapters this morning that there's going to be cosmic signs, meaning not on this earth, signs in the heavens. Amen? And we've been talking a lot and studying a lot lately about how in these last days we're seeing signs in the heavens with the moon and the stars and the sun. Now I want you to write a few things down this morning about what we can do and what we should be doing in these last days. But I want to give you a promise this morning and I want to remind you quickly before I get into this that God has planned always, I want you to say always with me. Always means every time. Okay, every time. Now real quick, I want to reiterate this again for everybody's understanding. It's hard sometimes to see where we're really at in the end times because of what I preached last Sunday morning. Because we're as in the days of Noah. How many were here last Sunday morning? We realize that there's corruption and violence and, and, and uh, uh, wickedness, thank you, corruption and violence and wickedness in this earth just like there was in the days of Noah. But... We're also in a time of certain normality. How many know before 9-11 happened in that morning that we all remember, there was certain normality in the world before it took place? Then that day things changed. When Katrina happened, there was a certain normality, and bam, all of a sudden, something happened. Things changed. I could go into a lot of events as examples, but what happens is, church, we are not a people that are accustomed to staying awake. We are a people that are accustomed to waking up when something happens and quickly falling back asleep again. That is the problem with the church, that we are good at repenting and good at preparing and good at fixing when it's already been done. We're, we're better at, let's fix 
our marriage, then let's prevent something from happening. We're better at let's see how I can fix my kids after they're already messed up instead of teaching how to not to mess up. That's just our human nature is we just like to wait till things are broke and then fix them. Because we always feel and think as people that I'm going to have another opportunity. That's what, whether you admit it or not, that's what we do. I'm going to have another chance. But I want you to know something, that there's a time coming, and I've been telling you for a long time, and I believe it's soon, that when the rapture of the church happens and the tribulation begins, there will be no second chance again. Because once that starts, it's done. Once the door shut in the ark, it was over. There was nobody getting into that boat once the door was shut. But the problem is sometimes we sit here on a Sunday morning and we just pick our nose and rub our arms and we just sit there and just twiddle our fingers and we think, well, it's just another Sunday morning. It's not just another Sunday morning. God is trying to wake up his church and get his church wake and ready. And I want to show you that in the scriptures this morning because we're bored sometimes, we get tired sometimes, and the, the Lord is doing that very thing. He's rubbing our neck right now. He's saying, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. That, how many love to have your neck rubbed? It feels good. It puts you to sleep. That's what the devil does to us. After 9-11, churches are packed. Six weeks later, they were empty again. And six months later, there was less people going to church than before. Let me tell you something. That's not going to be the case in the tribulation. Because once things begin to get really heavy and really ugly, there's not going to be any normality again until all wrath of God has fallen on this earth. And then Jesus comes back with the second coming and starts his millennial reign. Amen? I want you to pay attention this morning. All I can do is remind you. Now, you say, where's the promise? I'm getting to that. You can't understand a promise unless you see what you're promised from. Every time, and say it again, always, in the Bible, every time there was a problem in the Old Testament, there, God made a way of escape. Every time. Now, I wish I had time. I don't. And I won't to go into some really great stories, but I'm going to mention them just quickly. And I'm going to uh, probably most likely not even get uh, through this this morning, but I, I want to lay the groundwork so I can continue it. When you see a picture, for example, of Noah, like last week, we see that, that it was already predestined by God after he uh, decided that he had, would, would, would not have wanted to have made man, he said, man, why did I make man? After he did that, he said, I'm going to destroy the earth. And so he gave a time period to Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And listen, while he was building the ark, I mean, while he was building the ark, it could not flood. Because the ark was the protection. So they knew that during the time that the ark was being built, Noah knew, people should have known, but they didn't pay attention, that God could not flood the world until the ark was finished. Once the ark was finished and getting close to being finished, God already had a time and a day that he was going to send that flood, and only those in the boat were going to be saved, but he always has a way of escape. And Noah and his family got in that boat, as we talked about last week, and then the flood came down. But I want you to remember, the normality was that everything was going normal until the raindrops began to come down. Then it was too late because the door was what? Shut. 
You look at the story in Genesis 19. Just write it down for time. Don't look at it now. You look at it later. Of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah when Lot and his family are taken out. Listen, taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it's destroyed. God sends in an angel and they escape from it. Now, write this down in your notes. There's two ways that God protects his people. Two ways in the Bible. Always. There's not a third way. There's two ways. He protects his people through it. Okay, God protects his people through it. We saw that in the flood. Y'all here this morning? All right. In the flood, we saw Moses and his family protected through it. They were not taken out of the flood. They were protected through the flood. And then we see in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction comes on the city, and they do what? They escape from it. Y'all see the difference? One protection is God protects us through it, and the other protection is God protects us to escape from it. And we know from the Bible in Genesis chapter 19 that that happened. And we saw that before Sodom and Gomorrah came down, that they were taken out, and then the fire came down. There was a time in Jeremiah, if you want to write this down, chapter 25, look at it later. Again, I don't have time to go into these verses. There was a time in Jeremiah 25 where, how many remember the, the, the destruction of Babylon? You've heard that said before. And there's going to be another destruction of a new Babylon very soon. And in the Old Testament, there was the destruction of Babylon. And listen, Jeremiah, for 23 years, that's symbolic for me because I've been saved 23 years, 23 years he preached and preached and warned and said Babylon's going to be destroyed. Babylon's going to be destroyed. Guess what? The people didn't want to listen. So God always gives a warning. God always has a, 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 a messenger. God always has a people that he's using to say, listen, I, I, I've told you before we really needed to wake up, but now I'm really serious. I was serious before, but now I'm like really serious. Amen? And so we need to heed to the voice of the Holy Spirit and realize that there's some things we need to be doing. I'm not going to get into this this morning for time. I've got a couple other really great stories of escaping or being uh, protected through. But I want you to write down a few things this morning. If I don't get to this, you won't get anything out of it. Number one. What do we need to be doing in the last days? Watching. We need to be watching. The Greek word for watching means this. Stay alert. Stay sober. Stay alert. Stay sober. Another meaning says this. Don't be caught off guard. Okay, don't be caught off guard. Don't be looking somewhere else when something's happening. The devil wants to distract us. He wants us to get our eyes on things. He wants us to get our eyes on things going on around us. And I want you to realize tonight, we, this morning, we need to watch. Amen? Matthew 24, 42 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Luke 12, 
verse 43 to 48. I'm going to read this for you. I know you probably won't have time to get there. It says, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. How many want to be doing when Jesus comes? Truly I say to him, you know what, I'm asking you to go there. I need you to see this. Go to Luke chapter 12. I need you to look at this. As I'm just beginning to read it, I see more of an emphasis that I want you to see. Luke chapter 12. We apologize for the smell of death in here this morning, if you smell it. We have a dead rat somewhere. If you didn't smell it, I apologize that I just made you recognize that it's here. Either way, it'll eventually go away. And I, me and Dylan were talking about that for service. We could preach a whole message on that right there. Hidden stuff stinks. Amen? You all there? Luke 12, verse 43. I want you to pay attention to these verses. I want you to read them as if he's talking to you. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, now so what does he say? What is the benefit of of being ready and, and, and doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Ruler. So if I pay attention and I'm watching and waiting and doing when he comes, I'll be made a ruler in the kingdom of God. But, see that's the promise first. But if you're not watching, if you're not paying attention, he says, that servant says in his heart, I want you to pay attention. Y'all still here? Just elbow the person next to you. Y'all are way too quiet this morning. Okay, I just, I just need you to at least smile at me every once in a while. I know I'm serious, but at least smile. Okay, there, there you go. They, let me know you're getting this. This is so good. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. See, that's a spirit that's in the world right now. And Second Peter even talks about it, even mentions it, says, in the last days they will say, where is his coming? And they'll say it in a mocking, scoffing way. How many this week got, saw the video that you asked me to send it to you? I know several did, okay? Very impacting. I talked about a video Wednesday, and I'll send it to anybody that, that wants to see it. I can't show it in church, but it, it, it shows scoffing and mocking. And, and, but that's the world. The sad thing is when the church and Christians are mocking and saying, well, I don't think he's going to come, or, when, you know, I've been hearing for years that he's going to come, because, listen, church, these verses are, are, are talking to believers, he says, if the servant says, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour at when he is not aware. Now watch this. And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. I believe 
that that verse right there is not talking even about a death. I believe scripturally that that verse is talking to people who are not ready when Jesus comes will have to go through the tribulation. That's what that means. Oh, it got quiet in here just now, didn't it? Quieter, I should say. It's already quiet. Now watch this. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not pre-what? Prepare himself or do according to his will. What happens? Shall be beaten with many stripes. Meaning you're going to have to go through some testing. Meaning you're going to have to go through some trials. And it's not talking about just the normal trials of our life. Because he's talking about missing when the servant, when the master comes. But, watch this, he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, or of him, they will ask all the more. You need to understand this morning that God is giving us a warning to be watching. Watching. Number two, praying. What do I need to be doing in the last days? Praying. More or less than I've prayed before? More. Should I be watching more or less than before? More. Everything I'm going to mention to you, you need to do more of. Mark 13, 33 says, take heed, watch and pray. See how the two are together? Watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now, I want to remind you again when I say, for you do not know when the time is. We do know the season. Have you all been here long enough to realize that we do know the season? That we do know that we are in the birth pains and when it says time, it means an exact moment. We don't know. But he says, I don't want you to be brother. I don't want you to be ignorant of the times and the seasons. Because those things you already know. First Thessalonians 5. I know that you know. He says, so I don't need to tell you that. But he says, the moment. And he's saying, don't get carried away in the last days. And be caught up with the things that are going on around you. So that you're not watching and praying when it happens. I have tons of prayer verses I could give you, but again, don't have time. Matthew 26, 41 does say, watch and pray. Amen as well. Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying always with prayer and supplications in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Number three, this leads into number three. What should I be doing when in the, in the last days? Praying that you don't enter into temptation. In your prayers and in your watchfulness, you're saying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Matthew 26, 41, I got ahead of myself, says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me tell you something real key this morning. When you're in weak moments of your life, and when you're saying, oh, I just can't handle myself and control myself, it's not that you can't control yourself, it's that you are not spending time in prayer. 
You are not spending time with the Lord. You're not spending time on your knees. You're not watching. You're allowing your flesh to be pulled away. And you're saying, oh, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So I got to watch and I got to pray so that I don't enter into temptation. So that I don't get pulled away chasing some sin when Jesus comes back and I'm not watching and waiting. I'm ready. Now, I talked about this on Wednesday. I'm not talking about a sin that just comes into your mind right before the rapture happens and you get left behind. I'm talking about habitual sin that you're not dealing with. Amen. God is not trying to catch you off guard. God does not want you to stay here. He wants you to go to heaven with him. He's got a mansion prepared for you this morning. He's got things waiting for us. He's got a beam of seat where he's going to crown us. Amen. He's got all kinds of food prepared for us. The marriage supper of the lamb. Amen. The wedding of the lamb. He's got something. The, the bride and the groom. It's a party. He has something waiting for us. But he doesn't want us to be caught up in this world doing something else and falling into temptation in the last days days we will be tempted but don't go in the door of that temptation the bible says resist the devil and he will what flee from you so you have to say i'm gonna have self-control now i want you to understand something something happened in that story of sodom and gomorrah lot is grabbing his family and they're getting out a mother and a father's greatest concern is always going to be that my kids are with me, that my kids are serving God with me. There's nothing more beautiful in church than seeing an entire family serving God. There's nothing more powerful than that. Entire family walking with God. But you've got to understand that each person individually has to make their own choice. And we saw in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that Abraham, or sorry, Lot is grabbing his family and they're walking out. And I'm going to read this to you in Genesis 19. It says, the sun had risen upon the earth and Lot entered Zor. Zor was the place that he was taken to to escape the wrath of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, then the Lord reigned. Now I want to just throw that, out, that promise out again. Lot's in Zor, not Sodom and Gomorrah, and then... That ought to get somebody excited that believes in the rapture. And then fire and brimstone fell. Okay, Lot was removed and then fire and brimstone fell. Let me remind you again for the 50,000th time, God does not appoint his children to wrath. We are not supposed to be here when the wrath of God begins to come down on this earth. He has a place that he's going to take us to. He has a chamber. He has a day of concealment. It's not his will that we be here. It's never been his will to pour out his anger on the world when his children are there. Never. He said always, say never. Not once. You find me a story in the Bible. You go search and find me a story where God's wrath was poured out on his people when he was pouring out, because he doesn't pour his wrath out on people that are his. Wrath is for the disobedient. Wrath is for the sons of disobedience. And, and listen, if you haven't seen that video, I think it was Brian telling me this morning, you watch that video and you'll see why God's wrath's going to come. We be in church so much and we be, we're just sitting in our own little world sometimes. We don't see what's going on around the world. You don't understand the mocking that's going on in this world right now. You don't understand what people are doing. You don't understand how lost this world is. 
And this world is going to see the wrath of God. He's a just God, and he cannot allow the things that are happening on this earth to continue to happen any longer. And his justice is going to come, and he's going to, but it's going to come upon those who disobey, not those who obey. Can you say amen? But the Bible says the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, not Zor, from the Lord out of the heavens, so he overthrew those cities, pay attention, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Now I want you to remember again, as he's pouring it out on those cities, there is no righteous people there. Zero. None. They've been removed. It's not, some people say, well, what about that verse that says the, 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 the rain falls on the just and the unjust? The rain the Bible's talking about is life, not wrath. Life. Life situations. That's how a great Christian family can die in an accident. That's how uh, something that doesn't make sense can happen. And you say, why would that happen? Because the rain, life, falls on the just and the unjust. But God's wrath does not fall on the just. God's wrath falls on the unjust. Only. Can you say amen? Only. And so here's the end part. And I'm going to have to close with this this morning because of time. So he overthrew the cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground, but his wife looked back. But his wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. His wife looked back. See, that's why husband has to say, I'm going to serve God whether my wife does or not. That's why a wife has to say, I'm going to serve God whether my husband does or not. That's why a father has to say, I'm going to serve God whether my kids do or not. That's why a kid has to say, I'm going to serve God whether my family does or not. It is personal and it is individual and every person individually will choose if they're going to be up in heaven during the tribulation or they're going to be here suffering the tribulation. That is a personal decision every one of us make and I don't know about you but I'm going up I'm going to get out of here I'm going to be watching I'm going to be praying I'm going to be laying out a temptation because Jesus is coming soon can you say amen and when he comes soon I'm going up in the air to meet him in the air hallelujah and so we're going to be changed forever praise God that ought to get somebody excited musicians you could come this morning I didn't even get halfway through the message There'll be a time soon. I always say this. It's kind of funny. Kind of. I bet during the tribulation, the first couple of years, people won't be worried about the things we worry about today. They'll be worried about making sure their hearts are right. Getting saved. I can't even paint a picture to you, church. I can't paint a picture how bad it's going to be. And I know what y'all think sometimes. Why do you talk about this so much? Because I don't want you to be here. I don't know how else to say that. I'm painting a bad picture so that you get right. So that you lay down temptations. So you lay down sins. So you lay down every weight that would keep you from being ready. 
Because as this story says, pay attention, as this story says, you can be going in the right direction and you can turn around at the wrong time. I talked on Wednesday night, I believe it was, about Demas. Right? Was it Wednesday? A worker, a co-laborer with Paul who loved this world. So you can't tell me that someone can't turn their back on God that knew God because Demas knew God. He was a laborer with Paul. And can you say at the wrong time? Hmm, at the wrong time time folks he turned back I believe there could have been many things going on with, with Lot's wife but I believe one of them was she loved the world she couldn't totally 100% bear to look back and see what was coming had the directions. Listen, God is clear in His Word. He says, who, He who loves this world is an enemy of God. You have to hate. Yes, I said hate because it's in the Bible. Hate sin. You have to hate this world. And you have to obey. And you know, a lot of times, I don't want to take too long on this, but a lot of times people don't understand that that part she turned into salt. That just sounds weird. You know, she just disintegrated. You've got to understand the things that are said in the Bible. I've been teaching that, especially in the, in the, on the Tuesdays, about idioms. She didn't just like, just, just fold into salt. She was taken over by the fire and the brimstone that came out of the city. And right where she was, was a lake. She was swallowed up. With the fire and the brimstone and the, the lake or the sea that she was by was a sea of salt. And that's where she was killed because she, she looked back. I cannot stress to you enough that like never before, if there's anything in your life, anything that is holding you down, any sin that you know you're living in that you know is not right, anything undealt with, with it make your heart right repent and pray and watch that you will not enter in to temptation now as we're closing I've got three more points that I didn't get to them this morning that's why we have three services a week I'm gonna admit I'm gonna go into this again but I want you to understand part of this la this next one is very important it's, it's talked, it talks about having oil in your lamp. And it says, loin, now here, give me an exp explanation. Loin up your girds. You know when you say loin up your girds? That does not mean anything to us. Does it? Come on, be honest. That means nothing to us. I said on Tuesday night, if I said here in the United States, hey, on Turkey Day, let's meet at my house and watch the big game. Okay? At my house, on Turkey Day, let's meet and watch the big game. Everybody, almost everybody in this room knows what that means. Right? See, even people that don't like football know it. I saw a whole bunch of ladies. Yep. 
my wife doesn't care anything about sports. She knows what it means to meet at my house on Turkey Day to watch the big game. Just in case someone doesn't know, it means let's meet at my house on Thanksgiving to watch the football game. Okay, everybody got that? But, Judy, you might not have known that, huh? See, even Judy from Kenya knew that saying, see? But what I want to say with that is, is if I went back to Jesus' time, and I said that in Jesus' time, they would not have a clue what I was talking about. Right? Not a clue. Turkey Day, big game, nothing. So when I say here in our culture, gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. What in the world is that? Back then they wore robes. To gird up your loins was to grab your robe and pull it up here and tie it so that when you ran, you would not trip. So he's saying in these last moments, church, whatever you have in your life that could trip you up, gird it up. Get it up. Get it out the way. She, she might have been she might have been getting out of Sodom and Gomorrah and tripped because she didn't have her loins girded up and when she fell she might have looked back y'all following me this morning so we need to understand that there's more meaning to the Bible than we understand sometimes but we don't really study it we just go like well I didn't understand that part next yet the Bereans studied the word of God Acts 17 and made sure that what that pastor was saying to them was the truth we have a generation today of churches especially mega churches where there's 20,000 people sitting in a church with no Bible in their hands nodding yes and amen to things that somebody's saying and never check it out to see if it's even in the Bible that's not good Jesus is coming back for a church that's looking for that's not in love with this world that's not falling into temptation and that has oil in their lamps so that at the midnight hour I'm not caught off guard bow your heads this morning do you have to be afraid this morning? no you don't have to be afraid at all because God's got you God loves you God's got a plan and a purpose for you. You saw it in the drama today. He took your sin. He took your pride. He took your lust. He took your anger. He took your unforgiveness. And he bore it on his body. And he died so you don't have to die. But what you do have to do is stay ready. Stay clean. Stay watching. Stay out of temptation. And don't love this world.